And we hit that, and it's going to be connected, and you guys are going to hear music today. Tax the rich, feed the poor, Just didn't know what to do, Alvin. Well, I wish we'd have known all those decades ago what to do. We'd be a little bit further ahead, I got to believe. Anyway, we're trying to catch up, Alvin. Alvin! And good morning to the group here on the Jitsi board and wherever you may be in Radio Land listening live on the Eurofolk Radio Network stream or Global Voice Radio. Simulcasting over there. Thank you, Paul. It is the 6th of December, the Tuesday edition of the Radio Ranch. Roger Sills here with you and the group on the Jitsi board. Just a bunch of real good folks. Okay. So we were having some questions. We ran out of time, had to get this thing on the road. Brent, what were you going to ask, buddy? I jumped in about halfway uh, in the conversation. But did anybody suggest the Joe Tippins protocol? Um, instead, you know, they were asking for a wand for Stat Miller's sister that has cancer. Oh, yeah, Yeah, I would have went with that protocol before the wand because that's unproven. Well, I had a text back and forth with him. There wasn't any detail, you know, and I hadn't heard back from him. Mm -hmm. I told him I'd, you know, he said, can they send her a a free one. And I said, well, they don't do it. I do. And, uh, so I hadn't heard back from him. So we'll see. Uh, I don't have any objection to that. I'd send Stat Miller's sister a wand, you know, uh, we'll see. Um, so hopefully that'll work out as well as possible. Um, so anyway, let's see. Well, Brent, while you're at the forefront, I heard a really nice, uh, report on the Marines last night on marine recruiters and when they're going to high schools and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the high school st- students are asking them, why aren't you wearing a dress? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, they're, they're basically even laughing at the marine recruiters uh, that are coming in to recruit them. The army's down 15,000 this year on their recruiting uh, 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 quotas. And yet the Army or one of the services is kicking out 20,000 members because they, they refuse to take the jab. Uh, so, the you know, the country and the world's in chaos, folks. Uh, uh, you know, it's like um, it's like the little deal out of Alice in Wonderland there at the start. So you might want to go back and, and dial up Alice in Wonderland on, on YouTube if you hadn't watched it in a while. And now that you know what's going on in the importance of that and put some of those together. You know, the one, there's a couple of those that just really stick with me. I picked up one out of watching it a while back when I did that. Uh, of course, the first one that comes to mind is uh, there at the first, Alice is down being taught by her teacher and on this beautiful little green uh, hill and she's daydreaming as students are apt to do. And, uh, in the next scene, she's up on the branch of a tree, a parallel branch to the ground, uh, horizontal. And she's sitting there with her cat daydreaming. And the dialogue is, if I had a world of my own, everything would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And then what it is, it wouldn't be. 
you see. Uh, that one's, I'm fond of that one. And uh, the other one is in the back part with the Red Queen. And she's going through the hedgehogs and the croquet game or whatever they're doing. And, and their statement is, sentence now, verdict later. <laughs> I mean, isn't that it? Sentence now, verdict later. <laughs> oh, what a painful thing to see our country disintegrate at the guidance in the hands of these damn communist Satanist bastards. Don't know. Don't know how it's going to end up. I know they're getting exposed. I think really they've already lost in the big picture because they can't stand the exposure and the exposure is coming out everywhere. Uh, so we will see. And we've got this little neutron bomb here. Uh, just waiting to see who wants to hit the button to make it go. Um, Anthony, is Anthony with us this morning by any chance? Anthony from Denver? Haven't seen him in a couple of days. Um is that how are we doing roger hey anthony how are you man good good doing great actually i just sent uh todd a uh, a message this morning on the phone and i sent him an email right well so he, he's he's busier than one he's, he's busier than a one-legged man in the butt kicking contest he, right now he's busy today especially because they've got this uh i heard him talking about it in this jane ruby interview i think it was the six they were going to do it and he's putting out all these documents for people that want to start challenging things at the county level um yep. and uh but just keep trying to take just i mean if we if we can get him you can get people he can get people like robert barnes attention i can't okay uh but man if we can get one of these guys like todd and it sounded like from what you've told me that he is at least open to listening to what we got to say okay and, oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, that's just fantastic, man. So hopefully, maybe as the holidays, uh, we get a little deeper into this Babylonian crap and things get a little bit slower, maybe we'll have time to hook up with him. I'd love to speak with him. I really like him. He's, he's just, he's real, you know. You, you can tell when somebody's real, and, and he's real, all right? And so uh, he, he may be the guy. Don't know. Exchanged another text or two with Mr. Adams. Uh, and uh, just wait and see which one of these things is going to pop, you know. And uh, I kind of we keep pushing, uh, nudging, if you will. Uh, but it all is in the big guy's timetable. So when God's ready for this to get out there, maybe things got to get a lot worse. See, the worse things get, it seems to me. This is what I found over all these years. This is a very small percentage that we've got here. Okay. And you guys that are out talking to people know what I'm talking about now, okay? So there's a very small percentage at this point who are going to be acceptance or react to this. But as the situation gets worse, more and more people get into the uh, into the possibility camp, okay? So maybe it is that this thing's just supposed to continue to get worse before before we get our shot. We'll see. It's a day at a time, you know. As I've said before, it's like Mel Fisher today's the day okay so we'll see um anything else that hit me from yesterday uh not particularly um so that i can Roger. think of right off but murka has got something i'll bet you yes Murka. i want to hear what mike adams is saying well he's just texting back and forth and i just like i said the first time we text with him and I, and he said what are your websites and so i i just typed him in you know because i was so excited to be communicating with him right real time and 
And that uh, later on in the weekend, as I thought about that, I thought, boy, how stupid, Roger. Uh, here's a guy that operates mostly on his cell phone, it looks like to me, from what things I've picked up, and uh, as many people do these days, I guess. And uh, uh, why didn't I go ahead and send him the hot links? And instead of telling him, I suggest you look at listen to Deanna Spangola and Tom D, where, you know, where he's got to go type. He's got to go type the website in because I didn't make it a hot link. Then he's got to go down and scroll. Which which one of those did he say to listen to? So I Can went back. I, I, to him? Do what? Well, hold on. I went back and sent him hot link on the Matrix docs, and I sent him the hot link on the Tom D interview, which is one one of the ones that covered everything, you know, and the other advantage, of course, is Tom's been researching this for 40 years, you know. He was 10 years longer than I had, and his his constant comment was, I've been looking for this for 40 years, you know. So, uh, and, of course, he's running one of the other networks, and so uh, I thought all those things, and then I just added a few things, and he, he uh, Michael Adams had that show yesterday on his podcast on slavery. And so I shot him a couple of texts and you're, you're a slave right now. <laughs> and here's how you did it. You answered these two questions and I forget what all I told him. Anyway, he's, he's a response back. So, you know, that's all I know. We just take it a day at a time and see when it gets high enough on his radar. You got to understand this is not in Mike Adams wheelhouse, all this law and all this stuff. He's a science guy and all that stuff and more on current events instead of this is how the current events are happening right here. This is what allows all that stuff to happen right here. Is it complex? Well, you guys know it is. Okay. Yeah, it's complex. It's hard for people. And of course, the reason is because they've enslaved you in your mind and they've used all these other tricks, uh, changing definitions, hiding the states behind outlying territories, all the crap they've gone to, the links they've gone to to do this. So uh, anyway, I... I try and maintain my composure about it and not get too frustrated, although, you know, you want to do something. I know how powerful this information is. You guys know how powerful this information is. And we, I don't know what it'll do to our enemy, but I know they can't stand this being mass, uh, mass information to the, to the multitudes. They just can't stand it. How the reaction would be, how the people would react, uh, how they would react to whatever the people did. I don't know. You know, honestly, I've got hopes, got, uh, I'd like to at least think it would drop them to their knees. It exposed the whole damn system, for one thing, uh, in the standpoint that there is no money. It's only credit, and it's all based on you being a piece of property and them collateralizing your future income, because that's what makes the whole thing go right there, okay? Uh, and the other thing, of course, then they've got the administrative state to rule over you. So anyway, I think I kind of talked about you know releasing yourself from the administrative state and and uh, all that but see mike can't understand those sound bites because he doesn't understand the whole picture and right. you, you say these things and they seem so unbelievable that until you really understand what's going on here and get your arms around it you can't put all those things and line them up and connect them you know so I understand. I mean, I, I know it's difficult. I know that people struggle with it, and some more than others. And uh, I, I damn sure know how important it is uh, because of the three things. I've mentioned it recently. When you file that affidavit, first of all, you get your freedom, first and foremost. Secondly, you expose their slaving scam. And thirdly, you expose all the other scams underneath. So all three of those things, and they might not happen in somebody's mind at that instant, but 
when you file that paperwork, that's what's happening. Okay. So we'll see day at a time, folks. We struggle, you know, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You progress a, a message like this one person at a time. And that's why I tell all of you that I'm so grateful for you and how much I care about you, you know? So, uh, because now we're a team, see, and as we've said before, teams always accomplish more than individuals and, uh, we'll see how our team does. We'll see. So, uh, what has anybody got there that they wanted to bring forward this morning? Anything to discuss? Any questions? Any comments? None. Nobody. No, I had a question. Okay. I couldn't find the mute button. Okay. Hey, Joe. Uh, hey. So, we're talking yesterday. You were talking about the different like laws, like the Code of Federal Regulations. Oh, we went over the law books. Yeah, right for Nadine. <laughs> So, like, who who would enforce these different types of like like the UCCs or the um, the public laws versus the Code of Federal Regulations and the U.S. codes? Well, you know, you notice you never hear anybody charged out anything on the statutes at large, okay? Because that's what they don't want those books to be. They don't want those books to be used about as much as they don't want people to know they're nationals, really, and so. What you'll find if you get into lawsuits and stuff, they'll start hitting you with the United States Code, sections of the code, so-and-so. But that's not really the enforcement arm because those code sections are brought down to the Code of Federal Regulations and rewritten, and it's the regulations they come after you on because the administrative state is the enforcement arm. You know, a code, uh, the uh, DOJ may come after you, but underneath they're all using these regulations because that's the power of the administrative state. Okay. Did that, did that answer your question? UCC, back, they made the UCC the uh, method of collecting tax laws back in 1966, I believe. That's when they officially brought that in. Um, and, of course, the enforcement on UCC, it's all self-help remedies. I mean, uh, so that would be like. That would be like each person is the enforcer of those then. Well, it's the agency, you know, like IRS. If they if you got a, cro- a swords crossed with the IRS and they get to one of their points in their process, and there is a process, okay, and they adhere to it for the most part, uh, then they come just grab your car or uh, uh, seize your bank account or go in and garnish your wages, and there is no court action. It's all these self-help remedies. Now, self-help remedies, Joe, are really interesting. I put a lot of thought into this over the years. And the conclusion I came to is with this body of merchant law and these these remedies, self-help, you see, if they come grab your car, and the example that just sticks in my mind every time I think about it is this gal that was in our, our group there early on in the tax movement. And uh, they uh, went through, I guess, Seems like they got to go. If it depends on whether they're going after you civilly or criminally, okay. But if it's civilly in their process, and they've got a very distinct process, those of you who have ever, <coughs> excuse me, messed with these guys know that. You know, it all works up to a point where you're exchanging information. They want you to come in books and records, and then they take the ball for a while and dribble. And the, the dreaded point in that whole process is what they called, used to call a 90-day letter. Are you familiar with that, Joe? No, not okay. the 90-day letter. Okay. Well, the 90-day letter is to the point in the process 
where they're giving you option of tax court. And that's what the 90-day letter says. You've got 90 days to either petition the tax court or we're going to take our own action or whatever it says. But that's a real big fork in the road right there, okay? Now, should you go to tax court and get ruled against, which you almost always do, uh, that's when the self-help remedies come in, okay? Um, so uh, the self-help remedies are very interesting, and maybe we should go into that. we got a lot of new people. But I have always thought that one of the reasons they want to do this this way is so they get the merchant law to override you, okay? Because they know it. They've been using it for thousands of years. They know every twist, every turn, every way it, something can be uh, converted over to their side's usage and all that stuff. And they know it cold, okay? We don't know anything about it. And I remember this girl, and I can't remember her name. Uh, but anyway... She calls me one morning at like 7.30 in the morning. The phone rings. And she goes, Roger, Roger, they're stealing my car. Well, we didn't understand all this stuff back then, you know. But that incident and that example right there shows you that they're using this form of law where it's got this special kind of remedy, and they can come do this, and you don't understand it, okay? And so you immediately impute power to them. And it's not really power. It's the fact that they're using these special types of remedies in this special body of law. And so it seems to me, as I thought about it, that as they utilize this process to take over countries and they institute with these self-help remedies, all it does is it puts the people in the corner and makes the people think they've got this absolute power when they don't because it really comes from this process in this body of law. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's like, uh, it's, well, to me, it, it sounds like you're saying it's more of like a contractual agreement well, and you're is. contracting that you're giving them authority and permission to do these things against well, you, you if you don't. You signed the contract. Of course, you didn't know those things were in there. You don't know how this operates. You don't understand that because of the contract and whatever failings you made, it triggers these remedies and they can come start grabbing your goodies. Okay, let's go over this. Maybe that's a good thing to cover today. All right, because it's fascinating, honestly. And the power of this is the power that it changed the Roman just civilian to the just gentium. Okay, so so let's go over this a little bit. The self-help remedies are only available in one body of law ever, and that's the law merchant, Babylonian merchant code, UCC. Those are all the same thing, changing labels again. Okay, and it's a very legitimate when you think about it, Joe. It's all these, you know, it goes back to the thing that everything can be used for good or evil. Right. And so here's something that's that's good because it can save people that are both in knowledge and agreement of what's going on. It can save somebody going to court, waiting all that time, uh, all, all the things you have to go through on a more formal common law type approach, if you will. All right. So they got some very legitimate usages, uh, but these people take those things and skew them and make them evil and use them in an opposite direction. Uh, car loans. You can see the application of these self-help remedies in automobile loans. Okay, so the self-help remedy has to come from a contractual paragraph called a recognizance. Okay, and that's just a fancy word, legal word for recognize. 
So in the, one of the two facets, we mentioned it yesterday, we talked a little bit about it, but it's really worth going back over and understanding a little bit better. So these specialty contracts in the UCC, and I don't know that it can't be used, that it's not a specialty contract. In other words, I don't know that when you go in and buy a car and do a promissory note to buy a car, I don't think that's a statute staple. Has anybody bought a car recently and financed it? Do you sign at the bottom under penalty of perjury? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, hell, it's been a lifetime since I bought a new car, you know. I'm actually going to look for a contract that I have. Okay, good. Okay, and just see if it's signed under penalty of perjury. If it's got a recognizance in it and it's signed under penalty of perjury, it's a stat, it's a Jewish Shetar statute staple. Okay. So, uh, but let's just take the example of the car loan and he can show you that this recognizance clause can be put in a contract that's not a, a, a Jewish Shetar. Okay, because if that contract doesn't require you to sign under penalty of perjury, it doesn't fit the criteria of a specialty contract. But let's just say, for example, here and for understanding that in that car uh, contract, there's a recognizance. I guarantee you there's one in there. There's one in every one of them, just like an acceleration clause in your mortgage. There's one in every one of them. All right. And so this recognizance clause simply says that it recognizes when you're signing this contract, you agree to the fact that there's another body of law that's being referenced in the contract. So recognizance is a paragraph that recognizes another body of law. In this instance of a car contract, it's the fact that in the statutes of the state you live in, they've legislated what the time limits are. If you miss one car payment, no problem. If you miss two car payments on the 61st day, they can institute self-help remedies. Okay, They can come grab your car. All right. And the reason for that is because if the car dealer didn't have that in there and you missed a couple of payments by the time he got on a docket, went through, got the case heard, uh, got a judgment and then went and filed it to get the remedy, you may be in Timbuktu. Okay. With a car. So it's very easy to understand how this is used properly in, in, in an automobile contract. All right. And so what do they do? They come boost your car. Why? Because you didn't pay the payment under what's allotted in the state statutes, and you agreed to it in the contract because the recognizance clause is in there. Okay? Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So I'm so, looking through this. And, well, uh, it's very interesting how I signed liens on here that, I'm, that the car is liened automatically from when you sign it. Well, that's because you haven't paid for it and you're financing it, and they got to have a lien on the collateral. You know, again, bankers don't loan money without compound interest on one side and secured collateral on the other. Bankers just don't do it unless, you know, you're a synagogue buddy or something. Okay. So let's take that little bit of information that we know and let's go back and apply it historically because this has always fascinated me. All right. The first 200 years of Rome were called they were under the basically common law okay there you you find it referenced if you do readings on the roman era and you'll see it references as the 10 tablets so we know they had 10 tablets somewhat maybe like the 10 commandments don't know because we've never found them okay and we don't know what they said but we know they used them 
All right. So in the early 200 years, first 200 years in Rome, they were under that body of law from the Ten Tablets. So as Rome grew into an empire and started conquering all these adjacent territories and lands, well, the foreign merchants in the land wanted to come to Rome because they're merchants and Rome was the center of the empire and that's where the action was. Okay? So foreign merchants invaded Rome because it was the center of the action. And with that invasion, they brought their merchant law because that's what they used. And so as they were dealing with other merchants in Rome, they have these self-help remedies there. And so the Romans could see that they had to go through the very formal court proceedings to get some sort of a judgment. The foreign merchants could come in, and they've got this self-help remedy thing where there was no court. Bam, the remedy's right there at their disposal. And so in Rome, the, the attorney general was called a praetor. You've heard the term praetorian guards? Uh, at some point, at one point, they ran Rome and decided who the emperor was, the Praetorian Guards, okay? The Praetorian Guards were the private army of the Praetor. He was the attorney general. And Rome knew and understood how much power that position accumulated, so they were very smart. And they said, we got to have a new Praetor every year so nobody could get entrenched, corrupted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so... Generally, when the new praetor came in in the following year, he would follow all the body of law that the previous praetors had followed and not make any drastic changes. Okay, Well, over a period of 200 years of Roman citizens watching these foreign merchants have this easy way of remedy, they would go to the praetor and go, we want that too. We want that too. And none of them did it immediately but over the course of 200 years gradually as john used to say under the color of law that a roman citizen was a foreign merchant they changed the roman law to the roman civil code okay that's the code of justinian this is where it came from folks okay and it was this merging and melding of this common law and these principles with this merchant law and all this financial because see all the financial stuff and everything's been built into the merchant law from the beginning all right and the common law doesn't have those attributes we don't have those knowledge we don't have those remedies and all that stuff built into the common law it's in the merchant law and so it's in this melding over a 200 year period as rome changed they called it they got words for it uh, 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 labels Previous to this change, the Roman law was called the just, J-U-S is law, it's just Seville, C-I-V-I-L-E, the law of the civilian or the law of the citizen. Over this 200-year period and after that, they changed the law to what they called the just, the law, J-U-S, the law of gensum, G-E-N-T-I-U-M or something like that. And that means the law of the foreigner. And there's your Roman civil code, the melding of the merchant law in with the common law, okay? And now that basic change that gave us the Roman civil law, which is the United States code. You were asking about the code earlier. The code in the United States is that's the Roman civil law. That's the melding of these two. Okay, but there's a bunch of other bodies of law that are same thing: the Napoleonic Code, the Code of Bismarck, the Code of Justinian. All all those are just the same thing. This melding between these two bodies of law. 
Okay. And, and then that's changed the world folks. Okay. So that's where self-help remedies got incorporated into the common law. And like I said, self-help remedies, they're very interesting. Okay. Um, if you get into this and start noodling on it and stuff, and as I was saying, I, it hit me as I thought about it over years that that to me, in bringing in this body of merchant law and instituting these self-help remedies is the first harbinger of tyranny because that's when these oppressive people can come in and start grabbing your stuff and you don't understand this process we just went over and now you've imputed ultimate power into these people because you don't understand the mechanics of how it's working and how it got there underneath and so you cower in the corner even more and you attribute all this power to them that they don't have without this trick we cover so it's re- it's really important to understand and to me maybe not to you but to me it's fascinating stuff okay to look back historically and see how this happened remember uh, you know the old saying the old jorge santayana uh those who don't learn their hist- their lessons from history are destined to repeat them well john changed that around and he said those who do learn their lessons from history can repeat it in half the time over those who don't and that's what's going on right here Okay. Mm. Yeah, I I did find it very interesting because I was, you know, I I actually got the Uniform Commercial Code book. Ooh, it's year. tough. It's tough to read the Anderson on the UCC. If you want to study UCC, the definitive book is called Anderson on the UCC, and the UCC is incredibly complex. Okay, it's difficult to understand. It's, it's complex. And in the UCC, Joe, there's a statement. Anything not covered by this title reverts to the law merchant. That's right in there. Okay? It's the law merchant. Well, that's very interesting. Yes, it is, isn't it? Roger? Yes. You mentioned that uh, a foreign merchant or the uh, Roman merchant became a foreign agent? No, 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 no. As Rome grew and took in territories, the foreign merchants in the new territory would go to Rome because that's where the commercial activity was. Right. Okay. And so these, but they weren't foreign. I mean, as Rome. Well, they were foreign as to Rome. I mean, their, their country had been incorporated, but they weren't Romans. They were uh, whatever, Assyrians, Phoenicians. Uh, the Phoenicians and the Romans didn't get along, okay? In case you okay. don't remember things like Carthage, okay? Sure. They hated uh, each I other. Just to, yeah, like, so, you know, when, when they occupied more and more territory, you know, ostensibly, like, the, the idea was basically, you know, the empire was growing, and so other people in the empire would join. You know, if you live there, then you were... Yeah, you're in the empire you know, now. You know, you were a Roman on, on paper, but you weren't from Roman. Rome. I was trying to figure out if there was like a parallel between, uh, you know, how the U.S. citizens are. I don't know if, if foreigners is the right word, well, but, you know, if you're in residence in a state, you technically have some. I don't know. Let's take residency. Let's let's look at it with a different example. 
how the American Samoans and Swains Islanders come and move to the U.S., act in the U.S. They've got a representative in Congress. It's in Congress. They can't vote. They've got restrictions on them. Uh, when when they move to the U.S., there's there's only certain heights they can go to in civil service. They can join the military. They can't be officers. So they're participating okay. in the culture, but there's restrictions on them. Okay. Makes so, sense? Uh, does that – is there some parallel to what's going on with uh, people as citizens? Are there things that they can't participate in, or is it just like – I guess well, in a sense, I'm, I'm just trying to drop. Uh, okay, well, let me draw another example. All these immigrants that are flooding the southern border, they're not requiring them to get jabbed. Why not? Right. Because the, Pfizer doesn't have an agreement with their home country against limited liability, and so they won't jab them. But also, the U.S. citizens have civil rights. They don't have political yeah, that's rights. That's correct. Well, citizens and residents have civil rights under the 14th Amendment. They don't have access to the rest of the Constitution, even though people obviously think they do. Uh, but they don't, as we know. Uh, and it's these little fine points where these guys have got us where we are. Okay, really. And aren't um, U.S. citizens employees of the federal government? They're property of the federal government. Because they're working under the well, jurisdiction. I'm, you know, hell, I think so. Uh, the percentage of people in the country that work for the federal government or some government entity is staggering. 30, 40 percent, something mm-hmm. like that. Good morning, Roger. Well, hey, Daryl. How are you? Uh, it's, uh, it's rainy here. <clears throat> oh, well, that's good. But uh, this is a really good subject matter. Well, this is the meat of everything right yeah. here, really. Yeah. So uh, the the people coming in over the southern border are the the actual correct name nomen nomenclature by Vatel would be identified as vagrants. Yeah, probably not illegal aliens. It's, that's exactly the word. It's called a vagrant. Uh, he identifies as a class, as a vagrant. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the last thing that would have been on Vettel's or in his book would be birthright citizenship. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the last thing. He he doesn't even reference it to my knowledge. If it's in there, I excuse me, but I in my readings, have, uh, I haven't found it. Have you stumbled on oh, the part of the yeah. tell that deals with residence and residency? That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, okay. and yeah. a yeah, listener sent me that when I first started these shows. Some listener went back and sent me that, and I was reading it, and I was shocked, in a sense, because I was green back then, and things still shocked me. <laughs> But mainly because Vettel, in those pages on resident, he doesn't call them residents. He calls them resident aliens because that's what a resident is. And what they've done here is drop the alien and just use resident stuck in another definition where they can fool you with equivocation. 
But that it, term. Except under Title 26. Right. When it uses the term resident alien, now it tells you what it is, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's why they. Of well, course. I mean, just a <clears throat> supposition on my part, but uh, that's why you would do it. You're dealing with serial congenital liars. Yep. And congenital liars, uh, you know, the women here will understand that. That's, that's from birth. They're, they're liars from birth. Uh, their nature. Not, so, the, not the women. Uh, the other term. But they'd understand the term, <laughs> is what you're saying. I just want to. Not, not the women. The, the women would understand the term because, you know, uh, it sort of deals with childbirth and stuff. So, uh, <clears throat> so the other term, now that we've identified who a vagrant is, or like I like to refer to them as, it's an M evasion of gimmigrants. Right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but the other term that I think you're looking for here is called a denizen. That's a, that's an and, unusual and word. And that's correct. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. The, the, the denizen, uh, meets this criteria of, well, I think it would, uh, in regards to this, uh, the American Samoan, they'd be denizens. Uh, and it's limited, limited capacities. Um, he would be a denizen. Now he's owed, he or she, they're owed uh, courtesy and peace and protection. They're not an enemy and protection. And so, uh, but they they do have uh, limited constitutional rights. Now the other outlying territories and or possessions that do have those other 14th Amendment constitutional government-given rights are done by statute and on a ad hoc basis as um, they want to. For whatever the arbitrary reason is they want to, they can apply uh, additional aspects of those 14th Amendment rights to them by statute. So, uh, you know, this is under the Insular Cases, uh, 1900, 1904. So, uh, but uh, Denizen uh, is your, you can, you can be here, you can participate, you can do all these things, but, well, but, okay. And uh, that's because uh, you're an alien. Yep. If you want to get a better handle on this for some of you students that want to continue your education, the very best case dealing with all these issues that we're talking about right here, denizenship, citizenship, vagabonds, sojourners, those are some of the other terms people have used, uh, go to U.S. versus Wong Kim Ark. And that's a super important Mm -hmm. case. That's the case, if you remember, that all the Obama birthers used. It is the single case in the history of our country where the highest court in the land went into depth on these things we're talking about right here. And that's the case where John Harlan and Chief Justice Fuller, John Harlan, the great dissenter, and Chief Justice Fuller in the dissent nailed this. 
you know, and they're talking about the 14th Amendment, and they link it straight to the feudal system, okay? But most of our patriots don't read dissents. They only read the affirmative opinion. Uh, yeah, this is. I think this is where uh, I can't quote it. Uh, I have a hard time finding it, but I remember reading it, and this is where Harlan says he infers or states directly, actually, that um, we're on the verge of a very precarious, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, very precarious situation of parallel systems. I think you're talking about Downs uh, v. Bidwell. They didn't go into that down, in down, one Kim Ark okay, as much. Down, that's, yeah, that's. But um, the, the little statement, yeah, and I've got it. Downs v. Bidwell. I've got yeah. it pulled here. If yeah. my eyes weren't so bad, I'd read it to you. But it's he, he nails it. They nailed it because Harlan joined him in the dissent. He said, if the rule is applied, and he's talking about the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which became the 14th Amendment, okay? If the rule applies, it made the condition of a relationship of a liege man to a liege lord. That's feudal, folks. A liege man to a liege lord. And it made the relationship absolute and unbending, even depending on time or space. And it brought the English variety of slavery, the English common law variety of slavery into this country for the first time, just as England was being relieved of its inconvenience. That's right out of the dissent in that case from those two fabulous justices. Yeah, that's in Downs B. Vidwell in the dissent. The one you were talking about, that that I just quoted is out of Wong yeah. Kim Ark. Wong Kim Ark. Paraphrased, anyway. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but that it's, uh, and the Harlan in Downs v. Bidwell, just a couple of years later, I think Wong Kim Ark was in 1898 and Downs v. Bidwell was 1901, okay? And then Harlan comes back in that fabulous descent in Downs v. Bidwell. And basically says, ladies and gentlemen of the bar, we got two systems of government in front of us. One is under the Constitution and the system we follow. The other parallels the monarchies of, of Europe. God forbid if we ever go that direction. Again, that's a very short, poor paraphrase. But that's what he's saying in there. And amazingly enough, and you got to admit, this is amazing. That site is the site in Wikipedia that they pull out when they covered Downs v. Bidwell. That site is in Wikipedia. Yeah. That's amazing. That, uh, what year was that, Roger? Uh, 1901. And, and Downs v. Bidwell, Daryl referred to it earlier, Downs v. Bidwell was one case, and it's kind of like the slaughterhouse cases, or it's plural. And the reason for that, they had so many cases where these French butchers were going to the courts that rather than deal with all of them, they just lumped them all together, called them the slaughterhouse cases. That's what they're doing here with the insular cases. There was a whole bunch of cases that came out of the South Pacific on these possessions they were taking over, and they call them as a group the insular cases. Downs v. Bidwell is one of those. 
And if you've never read that John Harlan quote, I somebody ought to dig it up and read it. Okay, go go to Wikipedia, it's down a little bit on the page. It, uh, the, you can see why this guy was such a great justice. Okay, and amazingly enough, well, his the, son also yeah. was a justice on the Supreme Court. He evidently was from a very blue blood family in Kentucky, and after his tenure in the Supreme Court, his son got on the Supreme Court and followed his footsteps. That's cool, okay? The um in the um in the uh the slaughterhouse cases and then uh to uh its relationship was reaffirmed. Well, Alan sent me a link this morning uh, which I was able to read and thank you, Alan. Uh he digs up some good stuff. It. He digs up. Inter- old Allen yeah. digs up some good stuff for us, doesn't he? Well, a- yeah. After meeting him, you know, it it was uh, like, well, yeah, you look like a detective. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, and uh, but the uh, the the relationship between the slaughterhouse cases and the. 2014 case with uh, I can't pronounce the Samoan name between uh, them and uh, the uh, Supreme Court. This is the first looking case, for their 14th Amendment. This the, was the first case off the plebiscite that got to the Supreme Court and they wouldn't hear it. And they they did it on the same grounds that they didn't hear the uh, recognize the slaughterhouse as this. Uh, this word salad word called certiary. Oh yeah. They, they didn't have certiary. <laughs> okay. They have, they all, they have these wonderful list of voodoo words, uh, that, uh, they can pull out, which means you, you don't have standing to even bring this. We're not going to hear it. Well, I mean, in all honesty, the Supreme court can't hear that case. It'd blow the whole thing wide open. Yeah. Uh, so that that's how a case from way back when uh, they they pulled it out of the uh, dustbin to and shook it off and said, "Well, here, this still applies." Oh yeah. Uh, well, and there's common so. law. I mean, what is common law? Common law is case law. That means you go back and look at the decisions from earlier cases instead of go through the merchant law thing where you're determining an outcome. Okay. So they do recognize it, it yeah. you know. They just don't tell yeah. you. They recognize it when it's when it is in their advantage. Well, it's the old it's the old game that we played in in uh, uh, well at different times in our life where it's heads I, I win and tails you, you lose. lose, right? Uh, I, I I get to they get to pick and choose the rules that they want to play under. Uh, well. I mean, just like they did at Nuremberg. Yeah. Uh, they they get to pick the rules. Uh, For the audience that may not so, know, that's a real key point because that is coming out a whole bunch in Nuremberg too, right? Okay. And uh-huh. we would not know this if it weren't for Brent Winters because I don't believe this is common knowledge, okay, at, in any respect. Is that somebody trying to ask something, talk? Okay. It, it, we only know this because of Brent. And because of the coincidence, quote unquote, that when he went through law school, his one of his law teachers 
was the JAG officer that was trusted with going over to Europe and setting up the Nuremberg trials. Okay. And he told his students that the one big issue that they had in setting up the Nuremberg trials was the fact that if it was done under the law of the city, then I was just following orders is a legitimate defense. And they couldn't have that. So they went over and set up the Nuremberg trials under the common law. So these people that are talking about the Nuremberg trials being instituted today don't understand that I was just following orders is a legitimate defense under that body of law. Well, I mean, the folks, um, I can't impress on yeah, you how important that is. Okay, Nuremberg, right? Do what? Does, does Germany have Nuremberg common law? Or does uh, Nuremberg have common law? No, in, they in t- they brought it over specifically to set up the Nuremberg trials so they could hang these guys. Oh wow! So they they basically said, "Hey, here's a new law that applies to yes. you. We're going to do they this trial under the common law, not under the law of the city, yeah. or your defense would be valid." When common so, law did not. It wasn't instituted. They've been under the Code of Bismarck, okay? What's the Code of Bismarck? Just a remake of this of this Roman civil law combination that we covered. Yeah. Code of Justinian, so, Code of Napoleon, Code of Bismarck, all those are the same thing, basically. If, was, that, was that Jeremy? Jeremy? I think it was, was Abram, Jeremy? wasn't it? Was it Abram? Who was, yeah. who, who was sure. Abram? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, well, I've I got to turn my headset up. Uh, anyway, well, that's that's exactly right, and that's why they did it. And by the way, that was, uh, to my knowledge, so, that was the first time that that's ever been done. It is, and, and but let, but and, let get this: if we can get 80%. enough people, if we can get enough people converted over to nationals, we can do that because we got the common law now. Well, yeah. Uh, to my to my understanding, I could be a percentage of off one way or the other, but 80 percent of the administrative support personnel in those uh, in that trial, from an American point of view, were uh, uh, they identified as Jew? Yeah, Kazarian descent. <laughs> and 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 also that was that uh, <laughs> that body of affiliation was continued. Continued into the um, uh, what? Why is my brain doing that to me? The because uh, it's Tuesday. The monetary reform right after the war. Oh yeah, monetary reform right. Brenton Wood. Uh, Brenton Wood. Brenton Wood. Yeah, that was the same thing there too. And then also with the uh, drafting and application and negotiation of the UN treaty. Uh, uh, who 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 won the World War Two? Yeah. Who was it? The Jews. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, um, out of curiosity, what is the UN so, in terms of like when they pass whatever legislation or, or whatever they pass, do they pass it under a particular rule of law? And also in parallel, how about China, right? Because yeah. conceivably if China yeah. invades here, then we could be having some Chinese trials. Well, I don't yeah. know about let the me, UN. Let me tell you what is, law that is. Okay, go ahead, Daryl. Let me tell you what law that is. It's done through the Senate. It's called treaty. That's right. Um, See, you're talking. Well, you were mentioning the UN, okay. and I'm glad you brought this up. This is very topical right now. Okay, 
So they're about ready to throw this treaty through with the WHO, which allows the UN to, and the WHO to come over and take control of countries. That's one of the reasons. I think today, in the runoff in Georgia today, any Georgia folks I, yeah. in the Herschel Walker Warnock thing today? I think it is, okay? Uh, I would have never dreamed that Herschel Walker would be defeated in the state of Georgia. I would never dream well, let's, it. Okay. Let's hope he let, let's hope he gets a well. The, let's hope he gets a touchdown. Huh? He's getting no support. The Republican so. can nobody's supporting him, but Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz. The Republican convention and uh, the Republican committee ain't doing jack squat to help him get elected. Okay, because he's a Trump. Well, guy. that that should tell you something. All right, that should tell you something. But uh, here on this treaty the, thing, uh, let, me, let me finish up this treaty uh, thing because yeah. it's important. It's yeah. topical for our audience. Okay. Because everybody, Mike, Mike Adams had a guy on there talking about it yesterday, okay, on one of his podcasts on this potential treaty. But you see, when they bring a treaty through and they vote on it in the Senate and ratify it, then they pass it to the administrative state for application. We're removed from the administrative state. They got no jurisdiction on us. Yeah. Well. Uh, this is this is important. Uh, let me, uh, Adam and I, uh, I think I can say that we've developed a, a good friendship here. Good. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, and and uh, I don't want to embarrass him, but he's very sharp. And he was a marine. He's a marine. Soft spoken. Very, <laughs> very sharp. Uh, and so. On the way back from our ride to uh, Carrollton on Sunday, we were talking. Well, we were talking over there, and then we were talking on the way back. Well, actually, we were talking all the time. And this this thing, this thing called municipality comes up, and uh, there's there's several aspects to this thing called federal government, federalism, federalist. Uh, and, and and so I'm going to make a I, I might be making a provocative statement here in just a few moments, Roger. But bear with me, okay? So there's two aspects to this thing called federalism, federation, federal. There's two components. Let's just start there. Two components. There's the international aspect of it, and there's a domestic application of it. Would you agree with that, Roger? Yes, I would. Okay. In the international application, it, uh, um, to my understanding, it it works uh, through the Senate and it it works on international law, which can also be known as treaty. And they can make treaty with other nations or bodies or – private entities and what's the point man on any of this activity who's the point man it ain't the senate the point man's the oh, secretary secretary of state oh oh fancy that now now so if, if we go back to what happens in international law and relationships and disagreements and conflicts in the international realm of federalism, uh, which a lot of times involves commerce, 
Um, the remedy is either, well, we can renegotiate this or we can go to war. Yeah, pretty much. And, and, and that's where I kick your butt and I take your stuff. And that remedy is in Admiralty Maritime. Yeah. And martial law is nothing but Admiralty law on the land. Okay. Yeah. So there is, this is where I, I just wanted to be calm about it when, when, because there isn't a, a absolute definite aspect to the sinkhole federal that is Admiralty Maritime. And, and it, it has a specific application. Sure does. Okay. <laughs> now, there's this other aspect of federal, federalism, federation, that is domestic. And here's the 13th Amendment. And, and this is what I wrote. This is what, uh, this is what I wrote back to Adam this morning because we were conversing on email this morning. So I wrote federalism, international application by treaty, admiralty, maritime law, administrative by the Senate. And then I'll just add kick your butt and take yourself. Okay. That's the remedy. Federal domestic application by consent, by contract and municipal franchise types of law, USC, CFR, law merchant, UCC, administrative law, example, Title 26, administrated by the U.S. House of Representatives, representing the District of Columbia, a corporate municipality which contracts with franchises expressly for U.S. citizens' residents. (laughs) That's that's domestic. In bankruptcy. You wouldn't have the IRS if we weren't in a bankruptcy. So... Uh, you know, I, I tried to make that as simple as possible and still be accurate, which is kind of a trick sometimes to just make it simple. Um, and, uh, so it's difficult to make these complex things simple folks. It's at the end of the day, you, you always want to ask yourself, just keep asking yourself this question because see, Probably, if it's, if you're confused, you probably have something wrong, which is okay, as long as you know it. That's the last I learned. So you just keep, yeah, you just keep keep asking yourself, whose law and what kind? Whose law and what kind of law? So uh, back in uh, 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 two months ago, two and a half, three almost three months ago, I went to Birmingham to the federal building for the. Uh, defense attorney, federal defense attorneys and spent pretty much a day, most of the day sitting in the lobby waiting on my friend to get out of the meeting with his five attorneys that were representing him for January 6th oh. uh, infractions. Yeah. And, uh, but before I spent the day in the lobby, he asked if I could come in and sit in with them for a while. So they let me in for a half an hour to sit there amongst all of them in the federal building with all these federal attorneys. And I'm sitting there. They're very, very nice, very nice. They were actually quite friendly men. Uh, and um, I think they were really interested in doing the best they could for him. <clears throat> and uh, Now, this is his defense so attorney. So they had a – Is this his defense attorneys you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His defense attorney, yeah. 
Um, and they were pre- preparing his defense for the, uh, the North, uh, Northwest District of Alabama and something else there. But <clears throat> anyway, and he wasn't going to plea bargain. He was going to go all the way. He was going to take it to trial. Mm. And this was the first case that this, that office had had, district had had, where somebody didn't plea bargain. And so they were, they had strategized a lot and, uh, they were working on a defense and they had their whiteboard up there, the big whiteboard and they had sites and law and this and that. And they were talking and, uh, the lead, lead attorney was, uh, I can't remember his name. He was a very, very, um, sort of intense, you know, mostly friendly, very, very well-groomed, uh, focused is focused. Uh, a good man. one. Oh, he's a black sure. guy. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a good word. Black guy. Well, he had five attorneys. Three of them were black and two were white. Okay. For what that's worth. And, uh, uh, so I, they, <clears throat> they're, they're kind of reserved because I'm sitting in there because, you know, client, client privilege, uh, client lawyer privilege and all this stuff, you know, and, uh, I looked at the lead guy and I says, just answer me this. What kind of law and whose is he being prosecuted under? And you should have seen the look on his eyes. <laughs> you should have seen the look on his eyes. And he just, he turned, his turret turned, and his body turned, and his eyes got wider. Not real wide, but wider. And he, so it's just the first time since I've been sitting in there that he actually noticed me and he was sizing me up. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there in my Carhartt jacket and bib overhauls. And, uh, uh, Can I ask and he, he didn't answer me for a moment. Hold on. Let Daryl finish. Uh, so we can oh, get go ahead. Oh, okay. What's the question? And, and so I was just wondering because, because he's talking about the January 6th and I didn't want him to get off of that. And then I come in and ask the question and then it doesn't make sense. Could you please elaborate a little bit, uh, Daryl? How did these people get, how are they still there? If, if they only had like 40 days, you know, I'm just, I'm not learning as you are, but if they only had X amount of days that they're supposed to hold these people, now they've been there almost two years and some people are saying, oh, well, they have jurisdiction because they were on federal land or, you know, and all this other stuff. Could you elaborate on some of that stuff? Because there is a lot of confusion on how these people are still. The reason they're able to do it is because Moshe Garfunkel is the attorney general and the Department of Justice is under the International Monetary Fund. That's how they're doing it. But isn't it in some ways well, like you know, I think a, 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 an insurrection? Because you know, in the Fourteenth Amendment, they say you know. Well, uh, it's interesting. Let's bring one of the current cases, Stuart Rhodes, as an example. You know what? They finally they dismissed a couple of charges, found him not guilty. Stuart Rhodes. You know what the one they got him on? Does anybody know? Robert Barnes was talking about it yesterday on AJ. They got him on helping people to file returns or something like that? Alien and Sedition Acts. Yeah. 
which Jefferson negated. They brought them back in 2000, around the turn of last century, and that's what they sent Eugene Debs and a couple of other people who were one sitting congressman from Wisconsin, I believe, Daryl, who was against the World War One. They sent him to jail under it. Alien and sedition. Mm. And Barnes's point was, this ain't unconstitutional. It's nothing but a way for the government to oppress dissenters, and it ought not to apply for anything. But this is under the, uh, the well, codes that would apply to nationals, right? Well, they're or going back the and dragging out. Well, it wouldn't apply to us, I don't believe. But although back in those early days, they were applying it to state citizens. If I'm not wrong, I think those came out of the Whiskey Rebellion. And that goes back uh, to the Shays Re- Shays Rebellion. Shays, Shays, Shays Rebellion. Okay, Shays, and that yeah. goes back to the fact that the Scotch Irish over here that founded so much of our culture were doing a lot of distilling. And it wasn't the point for them drinking the liquor. They used the liquor as currency. And it wasn't getting federal taxed. They weren't drink. I'm sure somebody consumed it eventually, but they did it as a currency. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot there, but I, uh, just let me, I, I think that what you said, Roger, you know, obviously has merit. Uh, I think that uh, they could probably stand on that. They can also stand on, um, Patriot Act and the NDAA. Well, those are only Patriot for Act citizens. Those are only for citizens of the United States and residents. This other alien sedition, because yeah. of the history of it, could be. I don't know. It might could be applied to nationals. Okay. So the 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 January Sixers are uh, quasi identified as domestic terrorists, right? So. Uh, this, you know, the NDAA and the Patriot Act uh, are, you know, I guess more up to date, right. so to speak. And, and don't this forget, is, the only this applica- is where they the only application of those two right there is citizens of the United States and residents, because okay. it's done through um, the administrative state. Yeah. So, so would sedition, yeah. you know, the Sedition Act, right? If if uh, would that be against the corporate? U.S. government. I mean, you know, when when they used it originally against it should folks be. back in the uh, <laughs> damn in the sure 1990s. should be <laughs> right. I, you know, the prob- you see, here's the problem. Right? Any of these type of actions well, that we may want to take and apply, we've got to go to their court system to do it. What we need to do is get enough people that have changed statuses so we can have our own damn court system under common law. The, the United States, the thing called the United States government has always been a corporation. All governments are corporations. <laughs> yeah, they're corporate. Even, even before it was, uh, it's, well, yeah. It, it's because they, anytime you have a president, okay, listen, anytime you have a, a body, agency body identifying itself with a president, you have a corporation. Yeah, you have to have rights and duties ascribed to a uh, in. And you had a treasurer, right? And you you had a secretary, and you got bylaws okay, called the Constitution until like it was hijacked. Does it sound like a business? Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't, let's not what stray you, too what far. What do you think I'm, a federation? What do you think a federation is? Right. I'm what want, do you think a federation is? I'm wanting to get back right. on this conversation with you and these these attorneys. Okay. Well, uh, he looks at me, and he didn't answer. He just looked at me, and I said, "Well, let me ask you this," because it was kind of a pregnant pause there. And I said, "Let me ask you this." Is he being charged and tried under positive law? And he looked at me again. His eyes got a little wider. <laughs> and, and, and the other ones looked at me a little bit more. And then the one guy got up out of his seat and he approached the board and he started the white, it was a white guy. He goes up to the board and he starts to point at something up there. And, and the lead attorney said, well, wait a minute. Hold on before you answer that. And he looked at me and he says, who are you again? <laughs> and 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 uh in my in my car heart jacket and my bib overhauls and and rusty says oh my friend's name's rusty he goes uh daryl's just my friend i says i just wanted him, i just wanted him here for some support and uh which is exactly right and uh i said yeah i'm just i'm just his friend i'm i'm just a nobody you know i'm just daryl and uh I make motorcycle front so, forks. <laughs> I, 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 I I trade internationally in, in motorcycle uh, paraphernalia. So uh the uh so then he says yes. He said yes, that that would be correct, positive law. And then the other the other white attorney stood up there and talked a little bit about something. He he pointed out the the uh, the code and uh, uh, parading, <laughs> parading. <laughs> you were you were rebelliously parading, uh, um, and uh, so I was. About five minutes after that, I was I was excused. So, well, you got their attention though, didn't you? See what a little bit of knowledge will do, folks. Um, and um, but. But nobody ever talk, talks about this. Nobody ever talks about whose law, what kind. They don't give any foundation. They throw out a bunch of words. It turns into, you know, a goulash spaghetti salad with right. everything else thrown in. Uh, everything's tossed around. It's all tossed and, and nobody, it's a scram, it's scrambled. It's, it's, it's Babylonian, it's Babylonian word, yeah. word salad. Now, now I'm interested in one thing with your friend Rusty. Does he live there in Etowah County? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he filed an affidavit? Mm-mm. No. And no, see, that's what I yeah, want to know. If any of these guys had filed got affidavits, it, yeah. would they be in this position right there? That's the question I want answered. Yeah. I'm well, just curious, Daryl. Uh, he's he, oh, oh, who's who's asking that question? Go ahead. This GP. I'm just wondering, Daryl. Why did the attorneys that are helping these folks? Why didn't they file rid of habeas corpuses way back? Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't. I don't know why they didn't. For these other people that are still in uh, incarcerated, uh, this didn't happen with my friend. He was um, interviewed. Uh, he was requested to bring himself to Birmingham. He was interviewed several times. He was asked to bring himself back, which he did. 
he was charged. Uh, did he make special appearances? He, or did he just show up and did he make a he special? Didn't, he didn't have to. No, no. He what? What would be special? He ain't in a court he yet. Summoned. He's going through the charging process. So oh, what did they charge him with, yeah. Daryl? Uh, parading, parading without a permit. Parading without a permit. Yeah. This is this is yeah. ridiculous. I see. Now there's so a man-made law. Uh, there's a man-made yeah. law right there. If he would have had an affidavit on file, and I don't know where your friendship is or where he is in any of what you've taught him and all this stuff. If he would have had a, an affidavit on file, they couldn't have charged him with that. That's a man-made yeah, law. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of this stuff is is under like they call water under the bridge. You know, I've known him for quite a while, uh, and uh, you know, I I told him. You know, uh, two weeks before he went up there, he told me he was going up there. And I said, I said, look at me. He goes, yeah. I go, don't do it. This is a made on event. It's exactly what it was. What's that? I said, what's that? He says, what's that? I go, that's where. Where the Ukrainians were set up in the Maidan Square. And we're dealing with that today. This is set up. Don't and, do it. And I want to ask something Don't real quick. It. I'm going to deviate for just a second, hold where we were. On Rents last night, when I was listening to it, the guy that covers uh, Ukraine there in the third hour, when they were on the air, Russia had fired 300 missiles into the Ukraine last night. Has there been any updates on that this morning? <sighs> Three hundred missiles into Ukraine last night. Yeah, they did that in retaliation of, of Ukraine sending uh, over two of, of, of bombing their 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 bombers and their airfields one hundred and fifty miles from Moscow. Hell yeah, that's how they retaliated. Yeah, but, but it was NATO, not Ukraine, probably. Well, whatever. Ukraine got the brunt of the retaliation. I just wondered if there'd been any escalation today because I haven't done any news checking. Not yet. Oh, okay. Not, not yet. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. Darryl. You can you can tell who's you you can tell who who did it because all you have to identify is their military supplier and their stock price will go up. Sure. So that's how you identify. And evidently, this. Russia uh, has come in and so, and said U.S. troops, the U.S. is enjoined in this, all their troops and all everything over there. Russia has made that statement; they're enjoined. That's the precedent for the yeah. next step. Yeah. Well, the U.S. So, was enjoined a long time ago. He made that. Well, but yes, one. but Russia had not publicly said that until the last couple of days. Correct. Yeah. Well, uh, just to finish up uh, the story with my friend, uh, he he went and all that happened, and uh, uh, a lot of people regret it, and uh, uh, a lot of people have had time to suffer and change their mind about what they thought they knew. But he uh, he went to trial in D.C. about a month and a half ago, Ooh. and uh, he was convicted. And he goes back in uh, the middle of January for sentencing. Mm. So, Daryl, can I ask a question? Because I always like to try to get an education out of what you're saying. And a lot of what you're saying is amazing. But how could you reverse? Let's go in reverse. If you were your friend 
and you have this documentation mm -hmm. filed, this affidavits and all this other stuff, what would mm -hmm. be the approach for those listening? And what would be the approach instead of showing up, like I said about, you know, um, you know, not showing up? I mean, why? Like you said, don't go. Okay, so then what do you do? Do you just ignore them? No, what is the no, case? No, no. I, would go, I, I would go back to that 1835 case, Ubuntu VDRC, and bring that site in. You've got paperwork on file with the Secretary of State. It's in his possession. You bring that in and give it to the prosecuting attorneys. That'd be my, my, my first course right there. Could you repeat well, that number I, again, Roger, please? I, so I, I think... I think it's a good question. It's based upon a hypothetical uh, because, uh, well, because it's a hypothetical. But, see, my friends had not uh, um, uh, ever filed an affidavit. He He's not, not he, really up to speed on this information to where he could defend himself. Right. He was – he's a great guy, but he he's still in that two-dimensional world that linear two-dimensional patriotic world and um and now he's not but but you know he can't do a, an affidavit expo facto okay no he you can't, can't do back. it nope he has to yeah he so and and so the the hypothetical thing uh is a really good question and i i, th I think i understand what you're trying to ask me but it's hard for me to answer that because, see, I would never have gone. So I right. Know. No, I understand I, that. Neither my, would have I. My, my course of action is that I, I, I use – I like to refer to it – tell me again your name, who I'm speaking with. TP, I name? think. Yep. yep. TP? TP? I'm, yep. I'm, uh, I approach all this. Uh, I, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but I'm, I like to have fun. And um, – I sort of approach all this very much like Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I don't engage them. I, I, I slip around the outside it's of them. I don't, a, I don't try to ever go through them. I go around it, them, over them, under them. Legally, legally, uh, what or, you're talking about yeah. is called a demur. You demur. Yeah. You sidestep them. Mm-hmm. But what happens? Yeah. With well, that? I mean, Roger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, did you know that in Marlbury versus Madison, Madison? that you know uh, Madison was Secretary of State at the time, right? And that whole thing started. Marlbury sent a writ of mandamus against Madison. Okay. That means so, it means take action, rid of mandamus, take action, take action on this. You're trying to force them to do something. Well, that's what we could do if they're not listening to the affidavit is where I'm well, thinking. Well, the problem is we got a, 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 a communist Jew that's in the head of the damn Justice Department. That's There's your problem right there. Well, uh, if, if I, I, that's a good point, Samuel, with Marbury versus Madison but who was who was the uh, chief judge sitting on the on the bench that decided that case uh, John Marshall could have been huh? that came out well, of Georgia yeah, I mean, was, that, that was, case is out of Georgia Madison who was who was who was, oh, who by was the John way, the Marshall court did, Oh Daryl the court did not uh, go through with the writ 
it didn't send it. But oh. the whole point is Marlboro versus Madison got heard. Yeah, and and the and the outtake of Marbury versus Madison, from my point of view, is uh, we can reinterpret the Constitution any way we need to. Uh, the reason there was a Marbury versus Madison was because of John Marshall, and he didn't recuse himself. He should have been a defendant in Marbury versus Madison, let alone sitting sitting on. Uh, on the uh, as the chief judge, okay. Yeah. So uh, you, you have to understand. Uh, uh, and so Shay's rebellion and the whiskey rebellion was brought up. And I just want to make a point here: the first three constitutional acts that George Washington's administration did after the Constitution were unconstitutional. And uh, nobody really wants to talk about that. Uh, that was the the U.S. Bank, the Whiskey Rebellion, and armed armed uh, a standing army against those people. Uh, you know, and uh, and he was asked. You know, uh, George Washington asked uh, people in his cabinet, "Can I uh, can I actually do uh, a, a U.S. bank here? Can we actually put in a bank?" and uh, John Jay says, well, well, no, no, you can't do that. And, <laughs> uh, everybody told him you can't do it, but Alexander said, well, yeah, you can. So, I, so they did. Well, Alexander uh, Hamilton Alexander was his Hamilton. treasurer running, running the administration. Yep. He's a Jew. Uh, you know, so, I, I mean, uh, this, what we're talking about here, because I, I don't want to get off in the weeds here too bad. We're talking about a federal government. They were federal then. That's what, that's what, that's what federal, that's, what, uh, what was that, uh, what was that quote, um, you know, the guy that says, you know, uh, the first, the first terror, uh, the first, first engine of tyranny is a corrupt is a cor- judiciary. Edward well, Gibbons. That was Don Marshall. Yep. Edward Gibbons, Rise yep. and Fall of the Roman yep. Empire. That was that was the first uh, U.S. Supreme Court and Judge uh, his dishonorable uh, John Marshall, right there, out of the gate. I'm sorry. Um, what was the, what so, was the quote? The first engine of tyranny is a corrupt judiciary. Now on the on the whiskey rebellion. They were acting under the fact that there were not federal taxes being paid on the transfer of liquor. So there was some authority there, okay? Flimsy as it may be, all right? But there was some federal authority there for them to do that, it seems to me. Well, uh, Alexander Hamilton, I'm, I'm paraphrasing his quote, but he uh, he wanted to ride in there and kill them on site. Clean them out, and I could find the I could find the quote in the letter, but his intent was, well, they put together like a thirty thousand plus army to go against the farmers in Pennsylvania. That's the, the first thing they do, uh, and they were using whiskey, uh, you know, right? Yes, 
Well, they probably drank some too, but the main thing well, yeah. was it was used as currency. Right, it's product. But, they, and so, but, but, but on the East Coast, on the East Coast, they didn't. They drank wine. That wasn't taxed, right? They didn't tax it. Well, so what? You're bringing up a really important principle here that goes along. I can tie this some of this in. This is called. There was a big controversy all during this period of time, through the through the early 1700s, all the way up through the 1800s, and going forward. It's called the court versus the country. Well, there you go. Court versus country. And uh, this is not just a sort of some abstract uh, word term I've uh, concocted here. Somebody, some, you know, uh, wordsman has come up with recently. This is, this was a, uh, an ongoing debate in the House of Burgesses prior to the Civil War. It also was a major component of the ratification um of the Constitution in the Virginia legislation in the court versus the country, which can be uh, taken back to in, in terms of that time is you had uh, an aristocracy. Don't make, make no mistake about the social anthropology and the nature and character of these people that were involved in the politics of this time. They were the wealthy and the well-born. Of course. They're they were an the aristocracy. One, they're always the one that they, drive they were. politics. Uh, John John Jay John Jay, uh, who was a part of the Treaty of Paris, uh, along with uh, I think he, wasn't uh, he the first uh, Supreme Benji Court Franklin, justice? Wasn't uh, he the first Supreme Court justice, John Jay? I think he was. Uh, there was story after yeah, that. I don't know, but I believe John Jay was first justice of the Supreme Court. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you John Jay's quote. He says, he says, those that own the country should run the country. Literally. Well, there's a lot of sense That's to his that. Quote. Those who own the country should run the country. Okay. Now, uh, listen, uh, this is what these people are telling you right now. Today, we own this country. We're going to run it. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no real, difference in mentality there i i own this i'm it's mine i'm gonna run yeah, that, it. they've, they've made that blatant statement we own everything in the world we want our resources of course they don't say we got it through usury and tricks and fraud they don't say that well, no 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 yeah. so uh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll do I, I just before i forget it before i forget it just just let me indulge me for just a moment the reason i even called in this morning well, well other than it is a really, really great topic, is there's this thing that goes on all the time, this echo chamber of it's the Jews, it's the Jews, it's the Jews. Okay, granted, they are they those that even, they, they identify themselves as Jews, they have self-identified, yes, historically, yes. Oh. I want to make this perfectly clear. They have not done this by themselves. No, they haven't. Government has collaborated with them from the beginning. Government has collaborated with them. Okay. This thing called government is in collaboration with them and the money power. Okay. Yeah. Has been Period. since the beginning pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. So, 
I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not flying I'm not flying cover for uh, 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 Kyrgyzstan. Okay, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that there's more to this. All right, don't don't be wagging your finger at the Jews and say, trying to say the government's okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Around me, well, anyway, because you'll get you'll get a debate these days. Jew, Jews and okay, government go are almost synonymous. I want to add something here because this is I talked about it Sunday night. And I don't think I mentioned it on here. You know, lately I've been posing the question: How can these people that get their lineage through the maternal line be the people of the book where everything's through the paternal line? Right? Well, nobody's ever come back with it, with anything that I've mentioned it quite a bit in the last few months. Until last Friday, and I was sitting and having coffee with Scott, our buddy Scott, who's moved up here now, and uh, my Ecuadorian friend, who's very sharp, Romero. And I've posed that question to him. And he sat there at the coffee table and said, well, you know, I, I was very involved with a Jewish girl years ago. And in fact, she wouldn't even have sex with me unless I converted. Okay. But he said, coming from all of the association with her, and he said, I think this is why that is. Now, this is really interesting. These people we know aren't Jews. They were pagans. And in their culture, it was so promiscuous that when a child was born, they didn't necessarily know who the father was. So they tagged it to the female. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's damn sure provocative. Noodle on it. Kidnapping of aristocrats and so on. So, you know, if they kidnap a child back in the day and you didn't have a photo and you didn't have an ID and no one could prove who was who, then they could insert, you know, their their person. But, uh, yeah, and it makes sense in that, you know, if the mother can identify their child, then, you know, that's. And the father, you know, mama's baby. I thought it was very interesting, and you wouldn't understand that unless you realize they're not the people of the book and their origin's totally pagan. Right. So just inject that because it was on my mind. I don't want to forget and not mention it. Roger, could I? Well, I heard mm-hmm. that to be true, too. Part, you think that's true? It's I got, heard that to be true, too, that it, the, um, the, 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 they can assure the fact that it came from the woman. Um, but they can't always assure the fact that that was the man's progeny. Correct. So that's why they revere the oh, the so it's children. Yeah, oh, I get it. So it's kind of like it's kind of like female dogs. Kind of. You don't know who the daddy is, but <laughs> well, that's why they call them right. bitches. Yeah. <laughs> Mama's baby, Papa's maybe. Right. <laughs> no. Now here's another interesting okay. parallel to that. On the birth certificate, they only list the mother, and she's designated as an informant. One unusual thing also, though, you know, can, when you're saying the government is to blame as, as well as, you know, the, the a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons, right? Yeah. And uh, Freemasonry is essentially Protestant uh, Kabbalism. Yeah, they weren't no. they, they weren't Jacobins yet, see? And if you right. go back to George Washington's diary, he was very concerned about the Jacobin influence in the Freemasons. So that shows you the separation. Oh, you mean? Uh, well, that was now. Hold on. There's that a was lady. coming through. Go ahead. That that a lot of that was coming through the problems that he was having with the order of the Cincinnati, which was his executive, his executive military, his 
the generals and, and uh, military leadership of the Revolutionary War. Uh, and a lot of those problems initially came through there. Yep. They've been infiltrated so for a long class. time. A minute ago, there was a female that was trying to make a comment, and I don't want to shut the females out or a comment out. So we stepped on you. If oh, you yeah. Come forward. It was just me, and I was saying within a year after him writing, Washington writing that letter about the Jacobin interference, he was bled to death for a sore throat. Right. And he was trying to jump in there, too. Hey, Roger. Yes. Hi, this is Sarah from Louisiana. Oh, hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. So, total, not even on the subject, but I feel it important for any listeners out there that haven't gone forward and um, submitted or their status with the Secretary of State. So, we all did it, including our 16-year-old daughter, and... Um, we sent her to South Dakota for a month to be with my sister and my grandparents and my mom who has early onset dementia, we think caused by her COVID vaccine. But anyway, um, my mom convinced her while she was visiting that she should stay there. And so we got there. And it was brought up to us, hey, why don't you leave Sophia? She's not in school anyways because they don't believe in our how we homeschool. And we were like, absolutely not. You guys are crazy. <laughs> well, the day that we go to leave, my mom says to my husband again, hey, would you reconsider leaving Sophia for like a couple months? And my husband was like, no, we're not leaving her. And she says, well, what if she runs away? In front of my daughter, who then in turns decides to run off. And we find her six or seven hours later in the ghetto in an apartment building with a boy that we do not know. We had to get the police. Thankfully, we were in South Dakota, drag her out of there in handcuffs. And we were leaving, like leaving the state to come back to Louisiana And so we put her in between us in the truck and devised that she was given the rebellious spirit and decided to move forward and figure out where to go from there. Well, we get to Colorado at my in-laws and we had just that planned on a reunification of an estranged relationship that my husband had with his brother for over 10 years. And so We got there and asked her, hey, are you up for going with us to this thing? And so we did. And we jumped out of the car after driving all night and went and visited him, came back to my in-laws. I know the story is long, but it has a point. And she's chatting up my in-laws and seems fine and normal and, you know, obviously not completely because she's never pulled anything like that before, but we're exhausted and she asks to stay in my in-laws house and we were like, you can't run away. It's 20 degrees outside. Like you'll die. And she's like, Oh yeah, no, no, I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. Well, we wake up at two o'clock in the morning to a phone call from Thornton police department asking us if we knew where she was. And then in turn told us that she was being transported by ambulance to children's hospital because she walked to a neighbor's house after she supposedly, although we don't believe she really did, swallow a bunch of Tylenol. So she ends up at Children's Hospital, and we start driving there. And in 
were communicating with the hospital staff and they told us that we weren't allowed to come and see her because in the state of Colorado, um, she was put on an M1 hold, which is a 72 hour psych hold. And we're like, well, what does that have to do with us? So long story short, the children's hospital tried to kidnap her from us. And when we went in to meet with the psychiatrist who was Russian she told us that I advise you seek legal counsel. And I said, I advise you have exceeded your jurisdiction and we're nationals. You have no authority or jurisdiction over us or our daughter. And I'll be in touch with the hospital administration. And so we did. And in turn, they ended up saying, hands off. Yep, we have no jurisdiction. There Here's you go, contact. folks, right there. Yep. yep. And if we hadn't had that, this Russian psychiatrist was trying to institutionalize our daughter for 90 days. Oh, and I bypassed a part. And our daughter is very smart because, you know, she's our daughter. She knows about a lot of stuff. And she was trying to pull one over thinking she can go live with my mom in South Dakota. Well, in the state of Colorado, and this is where things got where I decided to pull that card was that the psychiatrist that we were supposed to meet with at 9 a.m. because we didn't know whether her overdose was true or not or what was going on exactly and she told us we were meeting them at 9 a.m. to go over all of this with a therapist and a psychiatrist and she tells us well because they wanted us to sign her in for five days on a psych hold after her 72 hour hold expired. Well, we go to the meeting and the psychiatrist comes in with a bunch of paperwork that she's holding to her chest and says, well, I don't really have time for you guys. Cause as you can see, we're really busy and I have to go meet from with a family that drove all the way from Wyoming. But I, I don't need you to sign the paperwork. Uh, I met with Sophia this morning at 7 AM and had her sign the paperwork because in the state of Colorado at the age of 12, any child is consenting legally to themselves as far as mental health and or reproductive health. Hold, hold on. So uh, in Colorado, all of the la- yep. the laws of majority and minority have been waived to 12 years old. Yep. Yep. 12 year olds can go to school and have a teacher take them to get psychiatric care and abortion uh birth control a pap smear anything and bring them back to school without any parental knowledge oh or God. consent california yep. too yep so well, you know anyway that, i just wanted for- to hop in and tell people that how important it is for you to go ahead if you haven't pulled the trigger on doing it i suggest you do you never (laughs) know you never know what's going to happen tomorrow folks sarah thank you hold on hold on there's four or five people trying to talk sarah has done two allodial titles successfully too she's very bright good no one no no one that's a great story sarah And it just goes back to prove the power of this affidavit. Okay. Thank you, Sarah, yeah, for sharing exactly. that. So people that think, yep. if you're listening out there and you think, oh, it's just a piece of paper, what good's that going to do? Well, right here is your example. Ace in the hole. 
They can't overcome it, folks. They can't overcome it without being open tyrants. Sarah, what happened to your signature that you got? Right here. Right here. What? You were trying to say something, Mark, on what? Yeah, I was just asking Sarah what what happened with that. Um, Was it the social worker that got the signature of your daughter? I know. No, it was the psychiatrist. Okay. I, I'm astounded that Colorado has lowered the age of majority down to 12 years old. I'm just, I'm astounded. How can they do that? Only yeah. for citizens we of the United too. States and residents. Yep, exactly. And that's exactly what I proposed to them. And I mean, I, we had a meeting with literally the woman and that runs Children's Hospital Anschutz in Denver with about eight other people and three other attorneys. And I showed them everything and said, go look it up for yourself. But you lit- you guys have less than an hour to release my daughter. Like, I want her back right now. Now, here, this and is another they, interesting it's, it's point. A, yeah, go ahead. And I want to inject something. Go ahead. So I was just saying they dismissed us from the room. And about five minutes later, they called us back in and said, you can go check her out. You're yeah. right. Okay. Now, here's a rebellious daughter, right? That we we got that pretty yeah. right. We got a little rebellion going yeah. on. She didn't have to sign the affidavit. The parents did it for her, and it binded them. Yep. But wasn't she a national too? Yes, that's what she's saying. She they had filed as parents the affidavit for the Sophia, the daughter, who didn't have to sign it. The parents did it because they've got control over majority and minority. Yeah, but her daughter is a national. Correct. She's only 16. She's but the daughter didn't have, Nadine, the daughter didn't have to agree to it, even with or without her rebellious spirit. The parents did it, and it applied. Okay. okay. Children are property of the parents, unless they're property of the feudal system, like most parents are. Okay, and the 12-year-old didn't apply. The 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 The, the daughter. The that ruling didn't apply that she um, can sign herself. That's right, because that is over under the citizen of the United States and residence laws, man-made laws. When they shift the law majority from 18 to 12, that's a man-made law, folks. Sarah, thank you for sharing that. Was it an infraction of the psychiatrist's part in having her sign um the document well then? not no because she didn't have the knowledge of her status at that point she was running under the presumption that everybody's in that group yes and i also have a call in or i'm, I'm speaking with um someone who's actually very receptive at children's hospital and i have well we'll see but an investigation going on because this was straight up kid i mean like they were going to kidnap her there was going to be no option whatsoever to like the psychiatrist was even talking about after her getting a judge's order to be placed on a 90-day Psych hold that after that they were going to transfer her to foster care. I was just going to say, after that, she's going straight into the hands of CPS. Exactly. 
exactly. Right so what my husband and I have brought up to Children's Hospital is that you, you, you guys are actively kidnapping children. And you can't tell me that a psychiatrist who makes her money off of every child that gets admitted, every medication that gets dispersed, and every meeting or appointment that she has with a child that she's not financially motivated to do so that's right and thankfully thankfully here's another thing that our daughter because she is very bright even though she ended up getting a rebellious spirit that they approached her over seven times to get her covid shot seven different times and she refused every time and they tried to persuade her she said each time there was a 30 minute conversation about why she needed to do it and how we neglected her and were neglectful parents for not having her get her COVID vaccine. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, it's a dangerous game when it comes not only to yourself and the adult legal system, but your kids, because had we not had this, we wouldn't have our kid right she, now. She'd be she'd be in that ninety day detention, and the minute they put her in foster care, the state of Colorado gets paid, the hospital gets paid, all those people get paid off. Now that there's four or five people trying to talk at once, we can't do that. So, right, I was trying to figure out, Ms. Sarah, if she can go into detail. What did you do? Like, if someone else in, on this call gets in the same position as you, what are the steps they have to take? Hey, listen, you got to take this document and go here. Well, the, so that way. Well, the first thing you got to do is, is do an affidavit for your children. The, before that, you ought to do it for yourself. Okay? So that's the first step. That removes you from the jurisdiction. Then you got to understand the information and have some testicles or breasticles, just like Sarah and her husband did, and stand up to these bastards. Should be a wake-up call for the daughter to see how her pan- parents are handling this, too. So, and uh, uh, Mark what? is asking uh, Sarah what documents she showed the administration and lawyers. Our affidavits. All right. Remember the case recently with the guy in, in Missouri, Chris, in front of the judge? And the judge gets him in his chambers, and he looks at him and goes, I read your affidavit. That's all he said. I read. He didn't comment on it. I read your affidavit. That is, that is acceptance, folks, right there. Hey, Roger? Yes, Nadine. I read a book called Prepare for War, and the copyright is 1987 by Rebecca Brown, M.D. And do you know, I was shocked when I found out what this war was. There are a lot of Satanists in the uh, medical system. Oh, my God. All all these institutions are now eat up with them. Yeah. up with Satanism. Yeah. Serving mammon, Satanists, devil worshippers. Uh, they're it's right. They're putting it right in front of you now. Well, it's child procurement services, not protection. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there was four or five I, people trying to talk. Paul, you got something to say? Go ahead. I, I would like to point out the obvious, just in case anybody missed Sarah's story. If she had not been a national that story would have turned out differently if her husband had not been a national. 
that story would have turned out differently. And if they had not filed an affidavit for the child, that story would have turned out differently. You'd be mother and father in absentia at this point. Exactly. And the child would disappear. Yep. Good. Sarah, thank you for bringing that to us. It's a wonderful success story, and it's a great illustrative thing for everybody else that's listening on just how damned important this is. Yeah, I saw her post it in the in the chat, and I said, please bring it on air. <laughs> I didn't know it was that much detail, though. Wow. All through different well, states congratu- and everything. Congratulations, Sarah. You and your husband did a great job. Obviously, you've got command of the information. You confronted authority, and authority went away. And you got what you wanted and what you should have. And Roger, well, I'll thank sure. you, Roger. Well, I'm just thanks to you for being great students and following through, Sarah. Roger, please make sure you repeat that story on Thumper's show. Uh, I'll try. If you got to tie him to his chair and unplug his microphone, <laughs> that story on Thumper's show. Well, Thumper's a star, man. Come on. <laughs> well, Roger, I have an affidavit question. Okay, we've got an affidavit question came forward. What is it? Yes, Samuel. Um, if you make a statement in the affidavit that's substantive and meaningful to you, and that and that goes unrebutted, does that become true? If it's a, it, it, it sure seems like it to me. If nobody contests it with another affidavit trumping your facts, signed okay. under penalty of perjury. But see, in the affidavit, that's why. I had a guy says, oh, here, I got this 10-page affidavit. I don't want to read a 10-page affidavit, okay? But the more you put in a document, the more chance you give them to object to something. You want to make it as short, to the point, and sweet as possible. But our people, see, they've studied this law, you know, all these years. They've been wanting to get in this, and, man, they're going to show you what all they know. None pro tunk, and they're throwing all these Latin phrases in there. I mean, you can do it if you want, but my suggestion is keep it as short, sweet, and to the point as possible. Roger, if, you know, I did my original affidavit, what, over three years ago, right? And that went to the State Department. Now, if I file for the passport, should I keep the, keep the original affidavit I would. the same and then maybe add an a, a, a addendum to it well, on this can. other statement I want to make? Well, you can if you want to, you know. Roger. Okay. There's no hard, fast rule that you can't. You're still making the same points. If you want to put it in there, it'll supersede your other one. Roger, affidavit after 30 days becomes the law of the case. That's right. They don't don't debate it or anything. Bring it up. It is the law of the case, so that makes law. That's right. So you got law behind you, folks. Okay. So, Roger, I have a question about the affidavit as well. Hi, I'm you. I'm I knew. That's an unusual (laughs) name. Well, no, I'm, I'm, my name's actually Karen. I just don't like to share uh, that because, well, you know the pejorative. Well, well, you know, the Karens have been pretty demonized lately. <laughs> yeah, my mom's still sorry. She apologizes often. She said it wasn't a bad name 45 years ago. <laughs> so what you got for us? 
Okay, so fairly new to your group, not new to this conversation. I sent you an email last week. Uh, I've been around the circuit of um, teachings and pretty paralyzed in in moving. Um, I love the beauty of the simplicity of this affidavit um, and had every intention of sending it off. Went back and watched some of your additional material linked on your site. One of them was a video with a young man named Presley. Is that uh, right? Yes, Mr. Presley. Quite and what a guy. What a kid, man. Yeah. I say kid. Hell, yeah. he's 18 years old. Yeah. His affidavit that he posted on his video that was at the back end of yours was just beautiful. But of course, I had to hand type it if I wanted to use it, which really, really got me familiar with the material in it. Okay. Right. Retyping it just from looking at it. Um, and, and I had to make a couple of changes to it because it's no longer paragraph three. It's paragraph two now right. when you go re- reference that link. But all of this to say, I love the beauty of it. And, 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 and it is just a two page affidavit. What would you? say as far as the difference between your two sentence affidavit which also is beautiful and this one would you say that there was a risk to using this larger one that mirrors presley's with a couple of changes to it as opposed to yours well it depends on what you say you know the one i filed with them is five pages long okay it's in the back of my book it's published uh again i I, you know the only right or wrong here is if you put things in there that aren't factual okay but generally to me the rule of thumb is the more you put in there the more somebody's got an opportunity to challenge on it so i saw that he also uh, along with that um mentions cover letters for sending it to the different agencies um following the department of state right correct and in one of those uh cover letters he makes a statement that he is not a citizen of a state i'm not clear on on when it comes down to see i'm in oklahoma i'm in tulsa um and i'm currently um involved in a little bit of a court disagreement over a speeding ticket um and my court date is on january 10th right where i'm going to go in and and um exercise my due process right to a trial as opposed to just pleading. Okay. And and my thoughts are if I, if I submit this to the secretary of state with the cover letter, wait the appropriate, what 30 days, I have almost exactly that if I get this in the mail today and then create a new affidavit for the court uh, that I am, or a new cover letter with this affidavit for the court that I'm attending do you think that I'm still going to be under the statutory Oklahoma state law well, or does this remove me? Here's the, here's the situation the way I see it with the offense happened when you were in your previous legal personality and you're getting close to some sort of an appearance and you want to submit this in hopes that it's going to override the fact that you were in a, a different legal personality when the incident happened. Not my primary motivation, but it is also like it, it is sort of a, an urgent impetus because I feel like it applies to that and the rest of my life, which is the whole reason I was doing this in the first place. Right. right. Uh, I don't know that it's going to have any effect on the court thing because of that. You know, you can't go back uh, pre ex post facto. Daryl mentioned that earlier. You can't go back and change your legal personality when the incident happened, you know. They go, oh, I'm, I'm this now, and that doesn't apply to me. Well, it did apply to you because you were that back then. 
Can they still levy a a fine or a judgment against me when, okay, well, maybe you could have if I had stayed that status, but now I'm not in it. Well, that doesn't make any difference when the incident happened in my mind. Now, uh, Karen, Karen, you got an advantage. You're in Oklahoma. We've got uh, Mark, our our buddy Mark, who's uh, listening, I know, is in Oklahoma City and is very familiar with Hey Mark, there you are. Uh, I can, if you don't want, hey. if you want, I can put you with Karen if she'll send me another email, and then you can discuss this from interstate sure. and your experience. Is that okay? Sure. It okay. sounds like we got enough uh, Okies that we could have a little meetup group sometime between yeah. Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Yeah. I would love that. Okay, Karen, resend me an email and put uh, Karen in Oklahoma in the subject line. I'll put you in touch with Mark. Okay. Thank you very much. And they got somebody else there who was wanting uh, outside. I put him in touch with you, Mark, and he wanted to know the guys from Texas, and I put him in touch with our Texas boys, and I know I saw a couple of emails in response. So you guys might be starting your own little group out there, Mark. That's true. And by the way, Roger, I wanted to uh, jump on real quick and let you know when a U.S. District Court judge starts a criminal trial, the first thing that he asked, is there any non-U.S. citizens here? Really? And everybody stays silent, yes. Wow. I have a, a friend who got up, got set up on some mortgage stuff through the FBI. And so when I heard this, I asked him, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's exactly what he asked. And I was like, oh. There's your chance to stand up and say, I'm not a U.S. citizen. Yep. That court doesn't have jurisdiction. Very interesting. I've never heard that before. At that point. Well, we're right at the end of the show today. Been a very good show today. I like these kind of shows where we discuss all this basic legal stuff. Daryl, thanks for all you added and everybody else. Sarah, thank you so much for your personal story and experience here. I imagine you got some people's attention with that one, girl. Okay. So uh, anyway, we're about to get out of here, and right now we're going to lay our bodies down, and hopefully we'll end up victorious. See you tomorrow.